0: Good evening ladies. Hope y'all are all doing well. So this week we're going to find out the second half ...of our story in chapter 4. You remember where we left off last week? Uh, we had Sanballat and Tobias. Ooh, boo. Yeah, I want to hear some boos. Boo. And their cronies began to call names... ...and mock the Jews who were working on the wall. And when that didn't work... ...they began threatening physical violence. And of course, we see Nehemiah praying over and over again. He knows who can take care of this problem... But if that wasn't enough, the people began to complain, and they were getting tired. They were working day and night, and they were having to post guards to protect the workers. However, in spite of all this, the wall is now half-built. And Sanballat now was really mad, and he is now threatening to kill them. So before we get into our scripture, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we would just ask that all the distractions of today, Lord, would just fade away and we'd be able to focus on you and your word and your amazing examples that you have given us in your word on how to just live daily lives Nehemiah is just a guy trying to get through the day and all the many trials and tribulations that he, is going, that he has been going through. And so, Lord, we want to know more and more of your word so that we can apply these things to our lives also. And so we give you this time. We ask you to bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Chapter 4, verse 12. And the Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. Excuse me. So just like before, which we studied last week, the people took their eyes off the Lord and began to focus on the problem, didn't they? And on several occasions, they came to Nehemiah with their fears. And their fears were not unwarranted, were they? I mean, can you imagine if every time you went to work and you weren't in the army or a marine or something like that, or you weren't a police officer, and you were threatened with being killed every single day, I think it would stress us out too, right? So we need to give these poor folks a little slack. And so it wasn't unwarranted. So Nehemiah took it to heart, verse 13. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. So in other words, in the weaker parts of the wall where an enemy could climb over or sneak around, it needed extra protection. And wow, isn't that a lesson for us? Those areas in our lives, and we all know what they are, where our walls aren't quite as high as they should be. In other words, uh, we kind of allow a little bit of that Uh, that wall to be broken down because we kind of like having the enemy sneak in every once in a while. Let's be honest. We're just human. And there are certain sins that we enjoy. So, you know, our walls are a little weak in that area. And so what a lesson here. We need to have extra guards on those places. Amen. Amen. So then he says, I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Now, Nehemiah was taking the protection of the city very seriously. The people had armed themselves with swords, and that was for close fighting. You know, you'd have to be within three feet. He also had spears. What is that, eight to ten feet, you know, in case an enemy came, came at them. And then they had bows and arrows, and that was for, you know, keeping the people away from their perimeter. So Nehemiah was being very thorough, and he wanted the workers to know that they were protected because he wanted them to focus on the work that God had called them to do. And then verse 14 picks up. Then I looked over the situation. I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers your sons your daughters your wives and your homes so nehemiah wanted to remind them again that the lord is strong and he will be their protection but i love that it says remember your sons your daughters your wives and your homes there is nothing like a personal loss to, to get you to to rally the call, to protect. You know, whenever someone t- attacks your family, you know, my family, when somebody attacks one of my children, whether it's verbally, hopefully not physically, because then Mama Bear will come out. But, um, <laughs> but you know, you just, you immediately want to go to their defense, don't you? That's what we want to do as parents. And so that's kind of what, you know, we, we see here. You know, fight for your family is what is being said here. Uh, During World War II, the Japanese had actually planned to attack the West Coast. And that would be San Francisco, Los Angeles, and those of us, you know, we're fairly near the the port of Los Angeles, so that was a big naval base at the time, you know. We have San Diego, which has a huge Navy fleet, and so, I mean, we were just ripe for the picking there, and so the, the Japanese, it was part of their strategy, you know as as unfortunate as that whole war was that's what they were that was their eventual plan and so when the american soldiers found this out you know they said nobody's attacking attacking my my country my family and so it was a real incentive for them to you know Join the battle. And so that's what we kind of see here with Nehemiah. You know, he's saying, we need to fight for our families. And so verse 15 then goes on to say, When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. And notice that it says that God had frustrated them. Because you might say, oh, well, what did God do there, you know? It was the people that rallied and they, they took up arms and stuff. Well, it was God who gave Nehemiah the wisdom to do that, it was God that helped him to carry out his plans. It was God always working behind the scenes in order to protect his people. And I kind of liken it to, um, I remember making like Father's Day cards with my boys, you know. And how much work do we, you know, when they're like real little, like five and and six, I mean, we have to do a lot of the work, don't we, just so that it actually, you know, folds in half. and, And we do the writing, we do just about everything, and they put the glitter on it or something like that. And then they just beam like, look what I made, you know when it was actually us all along right we kind of see that when they have their their projects at school you know my boys had to make catapults and of course we helped them and of course they had the best catapult in the class you know but see you know that's just what we do and I kind of look at sometimes that's what our attitude is towards God it's like I did all this and God's going oh aren't you cute You know, (laughs) yes, you did put the glitter on, you know, and so (laughs) be careful not to take credit for our successes when in fact it was actually God that was doing it. He really is. But nonetheless, the work. It worked and it scared off the enemies and the people continued to be able to work. And then verse 16 and 17. But from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their their load and the other hand holding a weapon. So they were alert at all times, ready to do battle should the need arise. And I can't help but be reminded of the whole armor of God because that's basically what these guys were doing. I mean, they were armed. They were ready to go. But likewise, we have the armor of God. We should be ready to do battle at any time. Sorry, I had something fall over on my leg here. I'll show you in a minute. It's pretty exciting. But anyway, Ephesians six fourteen through 18 tells us, there, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. See, that's our battle plan. Nehemiah got his battle plan that the Lord had given him. This is what God has told us to do. We're supposed to put on our armor. We're supposed to put on truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation. We're supposed to know these things. And those are our defensive weapons. But we also have the sword of the spirit, which is our offensive weapon, which is the word of God. And just like the Israelites, we need all of these, all of it. They needed to be ready to fight at any moment while they were working. And likewise, we must continue to do the work of the Lord, but always be ready to fight. How do we do that? Well, through the word of God. Luckily, most of us, and I hope most of you, if you have a cell phone, you need to have the Bible app on there. So, yeah, I'm seeing some heads shaking. Yeah, I mean, how convenient is this, right? It used to be that we had to carry a small New Testament or something in our purse or carry, you know, lug around one of the heavy Bibles. Now we get our cell phone. We can look at it at any time. Do you realize what a blessing that is? I remember years and years ago, uh, I was at a pastor's wife's retreat, and there was a guest. Uh, she had spoken at the retreat. and She was actually from Africa and she says that it was driving her crazy the way we Americans would just put our Bibles on the floor. She couldn't believe it, because to her... It was such a cherished thing. There wasn't a whole lot of Bibles to go around. So if somebody got a Bible, they cherished it. They just didn't flop it on the floor. You know, They would keep it wrapped up in fabric to protect it and stuff. And so it was really hard for her to see us Americans just, you know, we sit down, sometimes we'll drop the Bible underneath our table. I, I mean, I do it. You know, so I, and it really got me to thinking, Wow, we do kind of take it for granted, don't we? But now we even have it easier. It's on our phones. So there's no excuse, ladies. You have your sword right here. So make sure you pick it up and use that sword. All right, verse 18. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. We have it in our pockets or in our purse. Should the need arise. Anyone else, I mean, can you see the correlation here? But we are to work and be ready to give a defense. You remember what 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, that we are to have a ready defen- defense when someone asks us for the hope that lies within us? That's a ready defense, just like, the ne- um, just like the Israelites. And then the trumpeter stayed with Nehemiah to sound the alarm. Now, we're not talking about this kind of trumpet, are we? Now this is where it gets fun. Okay, we're talking about these guys. Now this is a shofar, and it can be as little as four inches or four feet. These guys are big. Happen to have a couple of samples for you. Brought one. Stole these from Jeff's office. Aren't these cool? Um, And they these were turned into horns. There's something about the shape that the sound resonates. Now. First, I mean this morning the ladies tried to get me to try to blow this. I cannot do it. And if I happen to do it, I mean most of the time I just blow raspberries. <laughs> so wait a minute. Okay, that's pretty loud, isn't it? Okay. Woohoo! Got it. Anyway, um, so you can see how if someone's to blow that oh I have another one too. Now this one's my size. I really like this one. And can you imagine a little four-inch one? That would be like pocket size. You know, you keep it in your pocket. So anyway, um, that's what they would blow should an enemy come. And the, the one story I love about this horn is the Battle of Jericho. We all know it. I mean, we sang the songs during Sunday school, right? It's found in, oh, there's another picture, but Joshua... 6, 1 through 5 tells us, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. So the whole town had a wall around it, and they closed the doors. They didn't want, you know, they, they had heard about these Israelites, and they were pretty fearsome. And no one was allowed to go in or out. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho its king and All its strong warriors, you and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. This guy, and and probably not the little guy, probably these big ones. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. Now, you saw how loud that was, right? I mean, can you imagine if you had a whole bunch of them? When you hear... The priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can, then the walls of the town will collapse, and the people can charge straight into town. That is what the trumpet is, the shofar, the horn. And they are very loud, aren't they? But today they're mostly used in ceremonies, but... In nehemiah's time, this is what those trumpeters had was these ram's horns, so that they could sound the alarm throughout the whole city because it's you know it's actually a pretty big city, isn't it and then let's pick up our story in verse nineteen. Then I explain to the nobles and officials and all the people the work is very spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding then our God will fight for us. See, when we sound alarm, we see this throughout history. A lot of battles had a horn. You hear a bugle call, like during the Civil War, all the time. That's what they would use. Depending on the tune, or the sounds that the trumpeter made, that would tell the army, okay, go forward, withdraw, go to the left, go to the right. Right. See, that's what they used. They didn't have cell phones where they could just call and say, hey, can you move your your guys back a little bit? No, they would sound a trumpet. So this is exactly what Nehemiah was doing. But the most important part of this verse is the latter half, where it says God will fight for us. Yes, we're going to pick up our weapons. We're going to be ready to do battle. But God will fight for us. He will give us the courage. He gives us the ability. He gives us everything we need in order to fight. Not only during Nehemiah's time, but today. He gives us everything we need to fight that battle. And the battle belongs to the Lord. Remember the story of David when he met with uh, Goliath? One of my favorite. Uh, He was just a teenager when he confronted him. He was just this little guy. He wasn't King David. He was like little teenager David fresh off of the fields tending sheep. And Goliath was talking smack about God and David. Let him have it, didn't he? First Samuel 17, 45 through 47 says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Amen. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands and it's just amazing what God will do in order to protect his people and of course we all know the end of the story don't we he picks up five stones but he only needs the one cracks goliath right in the noggin and so it, the battle did belong to the lord because there's no way that one little rock can 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 kill this huge knucklehead you know but it did That's how powerful our God is. Don't you love it? Then verse 21. We worked early and late from sunrise to sunset, and half the men were always on guard. Well, a lot of you ladies came from work, I know, and you've got to be tired. But can you imagine, after having a day like this, worrying whether or not you were going to have to go into battle or whether or not you were going to be killed, but you had to work long days to also, you know. Just remember, it could always get worse, right? <laughs> Verse 22, I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way, they and their servants could help with guard duty at night and work during the day. Also important to note that they would be safer inside the city walls. After all, that is why they were building them in the first place, wasn't it? To protect the the children of Israel from approaching armies. Because you didn't want to be on the outside of the wall should an army come. You'd get wiped out. So as soon as an army comes, everybody goes inside the wall. And so this was just better protection for everyone. Then verse 23. During this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapons with us at all times even when we went for water so during this time they were never caught where they could not go straight to battle so they never put on their jammies or anything like that so you wouldn't find them with their fuzzy slippers everybody was was sleeping in their armor and with their weapons and even if they went down to the stream they They went with full armor, so it probably got pretty stinky because they weren't able to take baths or anything like that. But that's what they had to do to defend the people. So what key lessons can we learn from this week's study? Uh, The first one I came across was don't be fearful. It is said that fear and faith cannot live in the same heart. And I'm not talking about an occasional you get overwhelmed and fear creeps in. I'm talking if your fear defines you. If you are known as a fearful person, the reason why you're fearful is because you are not trusting God. You need to have the faith that God will take care of you. Just like the children of Israel had to have faith that God will take care of them. 2 Timothy 1 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. The children of God do not have to be fearful of anything. It doesn't matter what it is. God's got this. And fear comes from not trusting God. But let's look at some other scriptures. Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Look what he says here I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. It never says, You have to do all of this. He says, I will do this for you. Isn't this a wonderful promise? He will strengthen you. He will give you the faith, in other words. If you struggle with faith, ask him. He will give it to you. And then let's look at Psalms four four. one of my favorite. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Not some of them, all my fears. So what is the key point here? I sought the Lord. So we need to ask ourselves, are we seeking the Lord? When we're being fearful Are we seeking the Lord? And how do you seek him? Through prayer, spending time with with him, talking to him, expressing your fears to him, and then, of course, getting into the word. The more we read about our Lord, the more we study about him and how much he loves us and how faithful he is, our faith begins to grow. Our faith in him begins to grow, and that fear begins to dissipate. It also says we need to... Uh, seek after him, or be, uh, pursue him, is another word, chase after him. See, we must truly seek after the Lord, and it is then that you are rescued from your fear. We can't just say, you know, I kind of want to hang on to you. My fear defines me sometimes. I've actually heard a lady say that. And it's like, wow, that's so tragic. Fear shouldn't define anyone, especially if we're the child of God. So, remember, if you're struggling with faith, all you need is a little mustard seed. Just a tiny seed, and it grows into a very large tree. Sometimes our faith is so tiny, but as we depend on him more, as, our, as we put our faith in him more, our faith grows. And pretty soon, it's this huge tree. Remember that. All we need is a little bit. He says, I'll take that, and I will grow that. I will show myself faithful to you, and as you see his faithfulness and his love and his grace and his mercy towards you, that faith begins to grow. That's the glory of it. And, of course, ask him. Say, Lord, I am really struggling with faith right now, so please give me more faith. And he always honors that prayer because he wants you to be faithful Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So, of course, he's going to give you the faith. Remember to ask for it. Second point, be prepared. Children of Israel, they were really prepared, weren't they? Now, we've already looked at the verse about being readied and having a defense should anyone ask you about about your faith. But Ephesians six eleven and 12 says we need to be ready for another battle. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is in our little study sheets, but... Look at what we're facing here. Does anybody think that they can face this army on their own? Of course we can't. We need our armor. We must have our armor. But let's look. What is the wiles of the devil anyway? Simply put, they are tricks to trap you. He sets snares and all sorts of traps in order to get you to fall in whatever... Nefarious plans he has for you. I'm reminded of a fishing lure. And Jeff and I love to go fishing up in the Sierras. And depending on whether or not we are fishing in a creek or fishing in a lake, we'll determine what kind of bait we put on our line. And so if it's in a creek, you know, they really like the worms. So we'll throw a worm in there, and they'll bite it. If we're in a lake, they really like the little shiny lures. They're not, you know, gooey like a worm. I kind of prefer the, the, the lures. So, you know, but they're shiny, and they sparkle, and sometimes they'll bite that. But, you see, they won't bite something that doesn't appeal to them. If I was to throw a deep sea lure out in the middle of June Lake, you know, they would look at it, you know, it'd be like this 12-inch fake rubber squid, which would be really appealing to a marlin out in in the ocean, but it wouldn't be appealing to a trout, right? So the point is the devil knows exactly what kind of lure to throw out. Okay? He knows what you'll bite on. So be careful. He sets those, those lures out there. You know? he, he knows how your mind works. And he's very good at it because he's been doing this for, for a long time. And it's always worked. You know, That's one thing. We're so predictable. It's like we'll always bite that lure. So be careful. Be mindful of it. 2 Timothy two twenty five and 26 tells us, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. That's what happens. This can happen to us. We can be caught in his trap and be held captive by him. Let's look at what else we need to be prepared for, though. Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. That sounds real scary, doesn't it? I wouldn't want to do this without the power of the Holy Spirit. We must put on our armor, we must depend on the Lord for our battles. Ephesians 6.13 tells us, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. I love that. We need to put on our armor. Notice it says God's armor. It's not anything that we do. This is God's armor. We can't do anything of our own strength. No matter how strong you are, no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, you still need to put the armor on. And we put God's armor on, the enemy won't be able to get in. And this is a perfect entrance to our our last point, and that is the battle belongs to the Lord. The more I walk with the Lord, the more I understand this concept. And the fact that I am way out of my league in the spiritual realm, I must depend on him. I must rely on him to fight for me i can 't do any of this on my own Second corinthians ten three through five tells us for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We can't do anything without him. And when we are relying on the Holy Spirit, we can do everything through the power of him. If we try, the outcome is never good. And there's a story found in Acts that would almost be funny if it weren't so tragic and scary. Acts 19:13 through 16 tells us, A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Now, seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. So these guys, you know, they should have known what they were doing. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? Oh, my goodness, that would be scary, wouldn't it? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. Wow. That's what happens when we try to do it in our own flesh. In our own selves. Be careful. They, they failed because they didn't even know who Jesus was. They would just thought, well, if I just use Jesus' name, that all will be better. But they didn't understand. The, the demon didn't even recognize these, these men as children of God. So they couldn't. They didn't have to obey them. We must not try to fight any battle on our own. Just like the Jews, during Nehemiah's time, we must rely on the Holy Spirit and him alone. And that is why Jesus left the Holy Spirit for us. When he left this earth, he says, I am not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He will be your advocate. He will be your uh, helper in all things spiritual. So wrapping up, remember, don't be fearful. Trust God and have the faith that only He can give you. The Holy Spirit is there to help us with that. And we don't have to live in fear. And we need to be prepared. Put on your armor every single day. Know the truth. Live a righteous life. Don't toy with sin. Don't try to see how close to the edge you can get. Uh, A few years ago... Jeff and the boys and I, we decided to hike up to Half Dome in Yosemite. Now, this is a, an amazing, it's just one big giant rock, and they call it Half Dome because it's half a dome, and you can hike to the very top through the back, and then it's like this sheer cliff on the face of it. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about here. I mean, it is really um, when you look at it, it's a very magnificent. And so we got to the top of it, and Jeff and the boys they thought it was really cool to stand on the edge. Now, mind you, it's 2,000 feet down, right? So a gust of wind comes, they could just they could just fly right over the edge, but. You know, me, being the scaredy cat I am, you know, I'm crawling up to it and I'm peeking over the edge. You know, sometimes we do that with sin, don't we? We want to see exactly how close to the edge can we get. Only to find that, wow, you know, uh, a gust of wind comes and guess what? You're, you're over the edge. Of course, you know, I got my family back. I said, okay, you know, that's enough. Everybody back away from the edge of the cliff, you know. But we sometimes do that with our spiritual lives, don't we? We want to see exactly how close we can get to the edge before we fall over. So don't do that. And rely on the gospel. Remember always that Jesus died for you. Ask for faith if you struggle in this area. Trust God when he tells you you are saved. It's a promise. If you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are saved. All this is available to you. And don't forget to take your sword out. Not just go on Instagram. (laughs) And remember, the battle belongs to the Lord. Don't try this alone. Do not trust in yourself, especially in this world when it's all about self promotion. You know, it's like, you know, I'm strong. I can do this on my own kind of thing. That's kind of the attitude of the world today. It's not so in God's kingdom. I will leave you with an amazing psalm found in Psalms 27, and I'll read to you verses 1 through 6, and it just wraps this up so nicely. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, They will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. So remember that when you're caught up in fears, when you feel like you're surrounded by enemies, Look to the Lord. Read, especially this Psalm 27. It's an amazing psalm. It will encourage you. Always depend on the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, there is so much to gather from this amazing scripture. But most importantly, how much we need you. So, Lord, help us to depend on you for everything that we need. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can be guided through this life, through the trials, through the scary times, Lord, when we feel overwhelmed. Lord, you promised that you did not give us a spirit of fear. And so I would just ask that if any woman in this, this room tonight is just overcome by fears, that you would even now minister into her heart. Would you pour out your mercy and your grace, Lord, and peace in her life so that she will know that you will take care of her no matter what happens. And so we love you, Lord. We thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.